How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. Push ahead to Hayward. He's going to the rack, challenging John Wall. Double clutches and dunks. Oh, Gordon, don't do me like that. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Locked On Jazz for the 28th of February. The Jazz get ready to take on Russell Westbrook in the Thunder. We'll talk about that game plan a little bit. Extensions, extensions, or no extensions? We'll touch on that, plus some numbers on how good Favors and Gobert are. And Fred Katz of Locked On Thunder stops by, or I stop by with him, whichever way you look at it. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked On Jazz. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. Third game of the three-game road trip today against the Oklahoma City Thunder. A big one as the Jazz look to hold off the Thunder. A a win today uh, by the Jazz against the Thunder, and I think you can eliminate the Jazz falling into seventh uh, in the playoff picture. Uh, They would be up 2-1 on the season series with the Thunder and up four in the loss column, and I think that would be a little bit much uh, for the Thunder to overcome. So that's kind of what's on the line uh, for the Jazz today. Thunder are much improved. You'll hear Fred Katz uh, coming up on the show. Host of Locked on Thunder, he thinks they're going to finish sixth and catch Memphis. Then you have a Russell Westbrook-James Harden uh, playoff series. That'd be kind of awesome. All right, uh, that's, I think I told you pretty well laid out what we have on the show. Today's show is brought to you by Murdoch Hyundai uh, at 4646 South State Street. Uh, Hyundai with the incredible 10-year, 100,000-mile guarantee. Uh, the Murdoch family doing wonderful stuff, and, and Hyundai have really been impressed while driving uh, the Santa Fe. I'll get to do that again tonight when I get home. Uh, so that's uh, have that for you. Uh, we'll talk more about them coming up. We'll do our pins across the world. And as I mentioned, uh, for those who don't know, Locked On Jazz is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and we have a Locked On Thunder show. And so what we, what uh, Fred Katz and I got together, he really ran it for his show, but I'll piece it onto the back end uh, of our show today as well. All right, the nervous moment in which I go to pins across the world. Let's see. Think I'm all right? I haven't pre-read it. Let's go for it. I want to say thank you for all you do for the franchise. I love all the inside stuff. I actually kind of know this team. My family, a lot of my friends have stayed away. In fact, my I actually kind of, yeah, uh, have stayed away. My mother asked me the day if Malone still played for the Lakers. <laughs> uh, I've been a listener since 2011. I used to just use the Internet. Now I use the app, so thank you for letting me know. I put a pin in Sandy City, Utah, lifelong jazz fan. I was younger. My whole family, uh, when I was younger, lifelong jazz fan. I was the smallest kid who had to hold the bunny ears when the games were shown on K-Jazz. I was in the junior jazz program and wanted to be like Stockton. Uh, I didn't have any hops. 
uh, and it made the game interesting and fun, and I could shoot the lights out. One of my favorite jazz memories was at the Delta Center, and John Stockton was there showing all the little kids something uh, could have been some sort of clinic. He was telling a story to the kids, and all I remember is that he yelled into the microphone, what do you do now, and kicked the ball, what seemed like to the top of the bleachers, and all the kids went, wow, and he chuckled and said, oh, like that, I'll do it again, and he repeated the motion. I'm not quite following Tyler Craven's pin right now. Sorry, Tyler, maybe it's my reading. Uh, so that's his memory of John Stockton kicking a ball into the crowd. All right, let's go to uh, our tip-off story of the day is obviously dealing with Russell Westbrook. Uh, I think this is interesting. Jazz have probably a very similar game plan to exactly what they did the night before against uh, against the play of, of uh, John Wall because Russell Westbrook is the similar concept of the later you can get him into the shot clock, uh, the better off you are. And keeping him out of that kind of running. Now, he has become a much better shooter than John Wall, uh, which is the difference. But, you know, we talked about this uh, last time we played Russell, and it's still relevant today, is that when you start to look at Russell's uh, three-point shooting and all of his of his play, if you can get him into the back half of the shot clock, uh, he's not as good. And no, more, nor are most guys, but he's except it's except he's twenty of seventy from three, with seven or less seconds on the shot clock. His overall shooting percentage is thirty-one percent uh, in his final seven seconds of the shot clock. Now he only uses ten percent of his possessions in that time frame. If he can go get the ball in the first six seconds of the shot clock, which he stunningly does 21% of the time, 21% of the time Russell's able to get a possession off in the first six seconds of the shot clock. It, that's an incredible number. He shoots a, nearly 50%, and his three-point shooting is 29 of 84. So it's much better. And 29 of 84, by the way, comes out to about 35%. He's, I mean, he's just not a a great natural shooter. Um, and, he, you know, and then if he, when he settles into the possession, it's about 36, 37%. Uh, so you want to see if you can get Russell later into the shot clock. Awfully hard to do. He uses only 10% of his possessions in the final seven seconds of the shot clock. Uh, and he's going to, he's coming at you. And he's going to have 60% of his possessions are three or more dribbles. He's coming at you. And the Jazz of what the Jazz did the other night against Russell is they built a they had the big drop. Russell had a lot of room in that kind of uh, airspace, mid range airspace, and he took advantage of it. Now the first time he didn't. The first time we played him, he went seven of twenty five, and then in the last meeting he hit the shots to win it, and. Uh, were the key play, you know, that those were the key plays of the game. Were, uh, he, but if you kind of look at that game again, by the way, he's 11 of 29 shooting. So the Jazz actually, I think, probably like a lot of what their game plan was uh, that night. If you if you look at his, he ended up uh, only getting to the rim in the restricted inside five times all night, and he was one of five. Within about eight feet. 
and the and and then on the mid range long two, the sixteen to twenty three footer, Russell uh, was four of eleven. You know, he hit some he hit some big shots, but I I'm not sure I would alter the game plan a great deal on what they did the previous time. So we'll we'll keep an eye on that uh, extensions. I don't think we're going to see any. Today's kind of the day. Uh, and here's why. Uh, on the favors front, I think that one's really way too complicated. So from Derek's standpoint, he is he has taken he, he took well below market value last time. Probably uh, retrospectively regrets it. God is guaranteed money, but to be making eleven million dollars next year when Gordon Hayward's going to go make thirty or thirty five. Uh, is is a you know it, it, probably a little hard to swallow. So, and I'm not saying he's Gordon Hayward. It's just he's looking at guys who signed in similar years to him. So, in that sense, I think it'd be very hard for Derek now in an injured state to take another deal well below the potential market value if he's right physically. Not to mention also. You know, he's probably thinks he's a 33, 34 minute a night player who gets more than six shots a night. And that's kind of where he is right now as a 24 minute a night player getting six shots. So he probably has to decide whether this is really what he wants to do for the rest of his career and with Rudy here. And so he probably would like to go to free agency and see what the market uh, says for his opportunity. So it's. Probably a pretty hard one to find a common ground where, hey, this is the best deal for you, and frankly, the best deal for the organization on Derek, where we are going to have a money problem at some point and got to figure out how we're going to use him and need to know that Derek can stay healthy. Uh, the Jazz, though, uh, I tweeted this last night, for all the talk of whether or not Gobert and Favors work together, their defense, when they're on the floor together, is just stifling. When Favors and Gobert are on the floor together, Team's uh, defensive rating, or our defensive rating, is a 95.4. Spurs are the best in the league at 101. I mean, six points below the league's best is a tremendous amount. And uh, allows the Jazz to do some things defensively uh, that maybe they wouldn't do otherwise. And that's, you know, Bear could probably be a little bit more aggressive tonight knowing favors behind him on Russell if he needs to. So we'll see whether or not that takes place. But that's the kind of idea there. So that's on Derek. I think that's on George Hill. uh, There's probably a few parts to it. Uh, One is what you're basically saying to George Hill is, hey, we'll give you a bunch of money up front now. And then can you you're probably you're not you're not maxing him out. You're trying to get him, you know, a reasonable number, which I don't know is probably I don't have any idea, but I would guess it's somewhere between 15 and 20. And he can probably go on the open market and get somewhere between, and I don't know the exact numbers, 20 to 25, depending, you know, if he's willing to play for Brooklyn or Philadelphia. Uh, And so, therefore, again, difficult to try to get a deal done unless George is going to just say, oh, I only want to play in Utah and stay here forever. He probably doesn't know enough about that. Uh, George will, after, if we get Gordon re-signed, then George is necessary, uh, and depending on how far we go in the playoffs, probably depends a little bit on how much we're, we're willing to, to pay, 
Uh, but also, you know, gets a little tricky if you're giving Rudy 30 and Gordon 30 and then you're giving George 20. That's $80 million. And so you probably, ideally, would like to have that number not be over $20 million, uh, for a 31-year-old point guard. But you might not have a choice, but you're not going to probably put yourself there uh, until you're put into a position where you don't have a choice, if that makes sense. Uh, so it seems unlikely uh, the, the landscape just hasn't lined up on either side really to to get a deal done. Uh, you know, de- getting deals done are, are two-way streets. I'm sure the, the Jazz have a number that they would probably love to get George Hill done at. And, you know, George Hill's never been a free agent, so he's betting on himself, and he feels like he can go to the market. And, uh, and his representation, again, also no representative wants to possibly sign a deal that has their player end up with less money than they get otherwise. It's a pretty quick way to get fired. So that's always part of it. And something you've got to keep an eye on. Uh, and it makes it hard, sometimes hard to get, you know, both these deals done uh, if you're the Jazz. Uh, so I'd, I'd be very surprised if either extension... Uh, comes down here. Uh, today's also the final day to put someone on your roster that can then play for you in the playoffs. Uh, March 1 is the deadline uh, on that. Uh, some people have been asking me uh, why Boris Diaw is playing instead of Trey Lyles. Uh, so I tweeted out last night that when Diaw's on the floor with Gobert, the Jazz are plus 6.6. Uh, the offensive rating's 107. The defensive rating's about 100.8, which is uh, the off that offensive rating's a little better than we are regularly, and the defensive rating is better than we are. With favors, our offense is a 108.7, and our defensive rating's a 102.3, so it's a plus 6.4. So we're you know we're really pretty pretty darn good uh, when Boris Diaw is on the floor with those guys. When when we struggle. Uh, and I, I actually don't have all of this updated as perfectly, but I don't think they have. Um, I don't think they've done this in a little while, so the, these numbers might be a tad old, uh, and maybe we'll update while I'm talking to you. Um, so give me one second as I hit a little spreadsheet and tell it to automatically update, and hopefully it doesn't decide to update every single item. Just this: uh, when Boris Diaw is on the floor with Trey Lyles. <laughs> which we've done throughout the year, they're at a minus 6.5. Okay, so, you know, there have been times this year we've been forced into that lineup, and it, and it doesn't work particularly well. Uh, when Boris when Boris does work is when he's been on the floor with both Derek uh, and Rudy. Actually, it is now perfectly updated. At, um, and Boris is... Uh, what gets interest in then Trey Lyles, just to give you the contrast, if I may... Uh, Trey Lyles and Rudy Gobert are very good together. Trey Lyles and Derek Favors are minus three together. So Trey Lyles will, at some point, Boris will get a, a day's rest and on a back-to-back, and Joe will probably get a rest, and some of those minutes will come back. Trey will play some minutes here again and try to get him going. Uh, here's something kind of interesting. When you start to look at our primary guys now, we have ten guys that play, uh, and you start looking at our two- and three-man lineup groups, the numbers are so good, and the only numbers that aren't good have usually a Trey Lyles or a Shelvin Mack or 
uh, Jeff Withy hasn't played enough into the lineups in some they they have guys that aren't necessarily a part of our lineups uh, anymore, and that uh, is really an incredible sign of how good this team is becoming. So if, if you just run down our primary lineups, first off, all of the defenses are below a hundred, which is just a stunning number. Uh, the top 19 defenses, only four of them are above 100 points allowed, and one of them is over 101. And that one is Rudy Gobert, Gordon Hayward, and Shelvin Mack. Okay? So it does. it's not going to play. Um, the other one that's over 100 is Rudy Gobert, Gordon Hayward, and Trey Lyles. So that one's not going to play. That, then you joke, you, all of them are, our first, our top 20 are all positive. Our first negative is Gobert, Hood, and Mack. Okay, not going to play. Our next negative is actually favors Hayward and Hood, so that, that will play, has to work, have to work on that. Uh, Boris, Hayward, and Ingles is actually negative. But I'm now down to our top, in our 30 lineups. The next one's Ingles, Lyles, and Mack. Played 227 minutes together. Doesn't play together anymore. Minus 12. Huge minus. We're not doing that anymore. Keep running down. I'm now got Rodney minus 3.6, but it's Gobert, Hood, and Lyles. Doesn't play anymore. Minus 1. Hayward, Hood, and Mack. Doesn't play anymore. Minus 5.8. Hayward, Lyles, Mack. Doesn't play anymore. Like, it, this is incredible. I am now, as I'm just scanning down, because I'm not trying to give you all of them, I'm at our top 50 lineups, okay? Now, some of them involve Lyles and Mac and guys that don't play them. The, the only one, they're almost, of the top 50 lineups, the ones that are negative that actually will play and we'll see if they stay in it, are Diaw, Exum, Gobert, minus 2.6. That's one. Sorry, still searching. Diaw, Hayward, Ingles, that's two. Favors, Hayward, Hood, that's three. That's weird. Starting lineup with Hood is not as good as starting lineup with Ingles by a large mark. I'm still looking. Oh, I'm not going to find anymore. Those are the only three lineups in our 50 most used lineups that have current rotation players. Now, all 50 of those aren't all current rotation players. It's a little misleading. That are negative. That's how this team was built. And that's what makes this team have a chance to be really, really terrific. The other lineup, by the way, that's been not very good this year that doesn't exist anymore is Joe Johnson and Boris Diaw together. We've we're gotten rid of that one, and that that has been that has been not that's just too old and too slow, evidently. But those are pretty exciting numbers there. All right, that is today's. Uh, that's kind of the, my programming portion of it, and it's brought to you by Murdoch Hyundai. Uh, Blake Murdoch runs. Uh, the Hyundai store at 4646 South State Street. The Murdoch family is a car dealership family in Utah, and they really obviously, uh, it's been neat to get to know them. Uh, I got to know them through the chases, and they've 
kind of sat down and, and gave me their philosophy and who they are and uh, what makes uh, the Murdoch family unique, what they're trying to do with their dealership, what they want you to have as an experience. So that was the first thing. I was very impressed by that. And, and they go, you know, little subtle things, right? Just uh, service departments open longer, free car washes. What, what are the little things we can do to always make you feel like you're supported as a member uh, of the Murdoch family once you buy a car from the Murdochs? And, the, and you experience those things. Their, their dealership phrases, no regrets. We want you to make sure you don't have any regrets uh, when you leave, that you have this incredible experience uh, and that you don't have the slightest negative feeling uh, going on uh, with that. The and then the next one was they, they needed me to understand what the Hyundai was, and I didn't know much about it. Uh, and so I've been driving the Santa Fe, and I'm just incredibly impressed. Uh, and uh, got an email from a fellow Hyundai owner, said, hey, but make sure you mention you know 10-year, 100,000-mile guarantee. Like, that's that's what their warranty is. Uh then you you know once you get into the details, so check out like do, if you're buying a car, check it out. Just do a little research. Uh, find out do other cars have as good a warranty? Where do the other cars have with? Do they have the heated seats? Do they have the heated steering wheels? Do they have the automatic safety items? Do they have uh, a sunroof that's as cool? The Santa Fe sunroof I have is all the way back. Does it drive as well? You suddenly realize that you get all the bells and whistles of the more expensive cars for. You know, depending on the brand, it could be as much as twenty thousand dollars less. And it, and then the fun thing is, if you have the Hyundai, other Hyundai owners come up to you and like, "Oh, you figured it out too." It's like you're part of this like smart people club. So check it out, Murdoch Hyundai, uh, forty six forty six South State Street. There's also a store in Linden and the store in Logan. Uh, the Murdoch family doing wonderful things in the Hyundai is a, a car that you need to put on your list. Whether you're shopping Hondas or Acuras or Toyotas or Fords or Escapes or whatever you're looking at, uh, make sure that you look at the Hyundai and that you're trying to and you put that on the list of cars and do the comparison shopping. I think you'll be really surprised what you can get for your dollar. All right, let's turn it over. Here's Fred Katz and my conversation uh, that we did on a crossover podcast as part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. And we're welcoming in the. Uh, do we call you the Lock Father? Is that what you are, David Lock? I, uh, if that is what you're calling me, it's probably the nicest thing I've been called all day. So, <laughs> well, I, I, last time, last time we podcasted together, it didn't work out too well for your Twitter mentions. No, I, I seem to be incapable of doing anything to Thunder fans without getting them upset with me, but that, that sometimes deserved, sometimes not. It's okay. There I was, there are, I was there right. Are passionate people. I was there right are, last time. I just want to point that out. I actually agree with you. I had never thought about the point that you made, which is that you should not stand up until your team scores. You should stand up until your team allows a score. I I had never thought about that before, but it was a good point because it does always get super awkward if a team, you know, if you're standing up until your team scores, the fans in the arena, and then they don't score for the first four minutes of the game. That's always uncomfortable. Fortunately for Thunder fans, they've rarely had to deal with that. Yeah, I think uh, Russell Westbrook. Makes an okay chance of that, but their offense has uh, has struggled, and they're going up against a really, really good Utah defense, third in defensive rating right now. Uh, at least they are going into Monday night's games. Last time, the Thunder actually won at Utah. Played a really sloppy third quarter, but other than that, a, a really strong defensive performance from them. I thought certainly one of their best wins of the year. Um, how do you think that that – is there anything that you could take away from that game to translate into this one, or was that just a really good Thunder performance from you? 
No, it was a brilliant performance from Russell Westbrook. The Jazz game plan was was really clear. It was to make Russell Westbrook beat them with the mid-range jumper, and that's exactly what he did. And if you look at his his season-long numbers compared to what he did on that night, he was unusually good, which probably means the Jazz gave him a little bit too much room. Uh, He also was just exceptionally good. Uh, But the Jazz kind of played the numbers on that and tried to keep him off the rim, tried to keep him out of transition, and keep him into uh, a mid-range jumper game. They And uh, they really dropped Rudy Gobert and gave probably too much airspace uh, to Westbrook in that game, and and he made him pay. And to his so to his credit, he's so incredible right now that the Jazz kind of tried to pick their poison with him, and he was good enough that he was able to uh, to make him pay in a way in which he doesn't always beat people. So uh, that's just really a tribute to Russell Westbrook and how great he was that night. And that's kind of a a common defensive strategy from the Jazz, right? Like, I mean, in terms of you're not you're not sending Rudy Gobert far from the basket for the most part. They they drop him back on a lot of pick and rolls, and that that's probably the most common way that defenses tend to guard. Maybe they guard the pick and roll in general. Certainly, guard the pick and roll against Russell Westbrook. You want to just bait him into those those you know sixteen to to twenty footers off the dribble, and if you can do that more often than not, it's probably going to work out. But when he gets hot, like you know he did against Utah in that last game at Utah, or even like he did against uh against the Pelicans on Sunday night when he went for 21 in the fourth quarter and was just ridiculous like it's it's really it's really hard to find a way to stop him in those circumstances the only thing that's changing slightly for the Jazz is as Favors gets healthier uh and they play a little bit more with Derek and Rudy together it allows them a little bit more to bring Rudy up a bit more on that pick and roll because now there's a second rim protector behind. And John Wall just could not deal with this the other night. He ended up turning it over nine times. And uh, I think Gobert and Favors had eight block shots between the two of them. And so you can play that pick and roll with a little bit more aggressiveness from Rudy right now if Favors is in the game. Uh, and so that that's a subtle change the Jazz are making as Derek's getting healthier and having more of an impact defensively. I'm curious to know what the Thunder front court is going to look like here too, because like Billy Donovan, the first two games after the trade deadline, after they traded for Taj Gibson and, and Doug McDermott, he's st- he's stuck with the same starting front court, and I just I would be so surprised. I mean, look, I think the change could could be made even as as soon as Tuesday night. Like the, for this game, it wouldn't shock me if if Sabonis goes to the bench and Taj Gibson goes to the starting lineup. They got a three game road trip coming up. I wouldn't be I would be thoroughly surprised. And by the end of this three-game road trip, Gibson were not in the starting lineup by that point. And I think it's going to happen pretty pretty soon at this point. And I, I wonder what their front court rotation is going to look like against Utah because obviously the, the size of that front court and when Favors is healthy and when he's going well, that's one of the strengths of that team. And it's obviously a really good team. And I I, I wonder how many minutes how many minutes Gibson's going to get. How many you see with Canner at, at center when you know maybe trying to use his pull to get guys away from the paint because uh, you know obviously he's great he's great around the rim and he's an amazing post up player but but you do have to guard him when he when he ventures out you know to twenty feet and beyond and even the three point line even though he's not shooting great percentage you have to guard him there and, and defenders tend to do that so I wonder how Donovan is going to try to maneuver that lineup and, and the front court just to see what he can try to make work against Utah's front court. Well, it has a little bit to do with how many bigs he's going to play, right? So if you're going to play four bigs, uh, and Cantor being the third and Sabonis being the fourth, 
I'm not sure. I haven't looked at the numbers, but I can't imagine that Cantor and Sabonis on the floor together is a very good combination. And it's very difficult if both of those guys are coming off the bench to not at least have them out there for a few minutes together every night. So he may be trying to avoid that. I listened to Locked on Thunder the other day when you were taking your mailbag questions and and heard you say this. And I kind of I you know uh, the I, I it was interesting. You went um, you went on the Abrinas Oladipo issue and the Gibson uh, starting issue. And I I actually kind of disagree with you in one point here. I actually think who starts matters a great deal because the minute you don't start, you're limited at maximum 36 minutes. And that's only if you play 18 consecutive minutes on each half, which nobody does. So really, you're actually limited to almost 28 minutes the minute you don't start. And I think Taj Gibson is an Oladipo probably have got to start uh, at some point just because you're they're your best players and you want your best players on the floor uh, most of the time. And I, d- does that make sense to you? Because you're not making a sub till the six minute mark of the first or third quarter, and then you're not playing 18 consecutive minutes. So at some point in time, there you've got to come off the floor and probably come off the floor for three or four minutes. And so now you're down to playing 26, 27 minutes a night for Oladipo and Gibson. I don't think that's what they want. I, I, I think that makes sense. And I, I don't think necessarily uh, – I mean, I think Gibson should start. I would I would be starting Gibson. I think the only reason he's not starting right now is because Billy Donovan is basically putting him – you know, he, he wants him to be firmer on, you know – you know, defensive terminology and, and play calls and that kind of stuff. And then, and then once he does, I think I feel pretty confident that he's going to have him out there starting. And I think you don't rent Taj Gibson so you can bring him off the bench so that you can start DeMontis, you know, the rookie DeMontis Sabonis. I just, I don't think that's something that, that an organization does. And I don't think it's something the Thunder are doing. So I think and, we're going to see Taj starting no matter what. By yeah. the way, I'm calling total BS on that from Billy Donovan. And I really like Billy Donovan. But like Taj Gibson's been in the league for nine years. He can figure it out. Like, and I promise you that Taj Gibson's nine years would let him figure out all the terminology better than Sabonis probably knows the terminology in in half the time. Like, I, I I agree with you. And and so what he's really doing, he's just trying to say to Sabonis, he's trying to figure, hey, you've st- Sabonis, you've started all year. We're not just gonna like we we don't want to just dismiss you and make you feel as though you're not a part of this anymore. And that's really smart. Like managing a roster for 82 games is the what these coaches do at a level that I think most of us don't get. In fact, I am certain most people, unless they're in those meetings or around them, don't get at all. And it's some, you know, it's something that, you know, if you watch Twitter, you listen to fans or even media talking about it, they're all, well, you should have done this. You no, so much of what coaches are doing every day is getting guys to still be engaged on April 16th. And that's a little bit of what Billy Donovan's doing, and I respect that immensely. Right, and I, I still think Sabonis is going to play. I don't think he's just going to, like, ax him from the rotation. I think he's just going to get, like, Joffrey Laverne minutes. He might not need uh, to, though. He might not what? He might not need to. Might not right? need to like, play? He, he's had his experience. He's had a successful year with the amount of minutes he's played this year. He probably will play. I'm, I'm not I'm not saying he won't. But he might not need to, like, depending on what, if you find a small lineup that you can play with. Who Like, who's your small ball for? Jeremy Grant. So I, I think you might... I think you might see Jeremy Grant playing those ten minutes a night at the at the power forward, uh, and that Sabonis stops playing, and I think that would be fine. And I and I'm not and I don't know. I, you're here every day, and so I, but I'm just saying, like I think at this point of the season, 
that seems like a really okay thing. Sabonis and Cantor have played 114 minutes together, and they average being minus two uh, per game when they when they play together. That that might be a lineup that you you don't really. I mean, and my instinct on that is I don't want Sabonis and Cantor on the floor together. Uh, so that might be a lineup you you try to avoid and you play a small ball. And boy, you play small with Cantor at the five, you'll never defend anyone. But boy, nobody will ever stop you because Cantor then has free space in the middle of the work as a post player. He'd be pretty good, and if he could pass every now and then, he'd be really good. Right, and Grant, Grant honestly, ideally from a stylistic perspective, he works okay next to Cantor. Uh, you know, he, on the defensive end, he's not going to stretch the floor or anything like that. But he's athletic and and he can he can deter some shots around the rim. And he's not like this, you know, world class rim rim protector or anything like that. But he's athletic enough and long enough and 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 a good enough defender. Like he's a pretty decent defender just just because he's so athletic and he's so long and he's so annoying because of that. That uh, he he can be decent enough next to Cantor. It's kind of like what the Thunder thought they were going to have in Cantor and Ibaka, which for some reason. Those two guys on the floor together, it just never, it never quite worked, even though you'd think it would. One of them's on the inside, one of them's on the outside, and then, you know, Cantor struggles defensively, but Ibaka's the rim protector, so it'll help. But uh, it never quite worked, and it works a little bit better with Grant, even though Grant is obviously, you know, levels below Ibaka in terms of the quality of defense. But in terms of those traits, like, that's that's okay. And, yeah, look, Sabonis, Sabonis doesn't work great, and I don't think he's going to get uh, consistent minutes throughout once Gibson does enter the starting lineup. I, I don't think he's going to be, you know, 14 minutes a night, no matter what, but I think we're going to see times where, where he's going to play and we're going to see other times where he's, where he's going to sit. I just, I don't think he's completely out. Cause I think that would be uncharacteristic for Billy Donovan. Like there's, there's almost no one who's ever completely out of his rotation. He's always kind of dusting guys off and bringing them back in to give him burn. Right. And that's a little bit of kind of where I was a moment ago, just talking about, you know, working guys through, uh, and keeping guys engaged for 82 games. It's really, uh, it's the art of what's going on uh, that these coaches do that I, is, you know, impre- we, we've tightened ours now. We've said, okay, now's the time. Like, we're, we're, we're making the next move. We're trying to get better. So we've tightened our rotation down. Trey Lyles is now out of our rotation. Boris Diaw is getting limited minutes. Uh, but that's where we are right now as we, as we make that next step, which is to say, hey, here we come. And this is going to be what's going to carry us for the playoff run, and and so we've made that switch uh, that eventually you're going to make at some point in time. All right, I just ran an NBA Wowie, by the way, of Ennis Cantor and Jeremy Grant without Sabonis, Laverne, Adams, or Gibson. So that would be Cantor at the five and Grant at the four, right? Okay, let's see it. I actually haven't checked these numbers. So, so let's, let's they've done it for 190 minutes this year, which is a pretty small sample size. As we expected, they're averaging 115 points per 100 possessions offensively, which is great. And defensively, they're allowing 112. So very much what we talked about. And that's good. You're plus three in those circumstances. Uh, you take that. It's it's a pure offensive game at that point where um, probably Cantor has a tough time uh, being guarded, he's shooting 55% in those circumstances, and you just got to find make sure you have enough shooters outside. Actually, Andre Robertson has got an effective field goal percentage of 58% when those two are on the floor without a big. Russell Westbrook has an effective field goal percentage of 55%. Um, Anthony Morrow actually was pretty good with those guys, which, who does not exist anymore. So that's a, that's an interesting worth keeping on. I you know we'll see. I don't know your team as well, and I don't know how much the organization puts pressure to make sure that Sabonis gets his 14 minutes a night, but I feel like he's had his exposure this year. And so if he didn't, if he was taken out of the rotation with 22 games left in the season, I wouldn't think anything of it. 
I like your qualification of Anthony Morrow does not exist anymore. I'm not sure he actually ever existed as people defined him um, while he was here. Anthony Morrow was he was a mirage. Yes, that's 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 all he was his whole time. Is is Gordon Hayward going to dunk on anybody on Tuesday? He's just incredible right now. I mean, he is. He's dunking on everyone. He had put Thon Maker, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and John Wall on posters. But it's more that like what's really interesting to me is I mean, Giannis Antetokounmpo is really good. John Wall's really good. John Wall's probably the second best player in the Eastern Conference. Maybe Kyle Lowry. Uh, Gordon Hayward's the best player on the floor both the last two nights. I mean, not even like sort of either. Like absolutely the best player on the floor in both of the last two games. He just has a little something to him right now, and he just is in complete control of the game and getting to his spots where he wants to. He he's just terrific. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what you know. Andre Robertson is supposed to be such a great defensive player. He is, but sometimes you know, great defensive players don't always. Um, you know, if the offensive player is that good, then it doesn't always really matter. Yeah, Hayward is, man, he is so good. Hey, he's, okay, you, you've you obviously seen him play more than I have. He's better now than he's ever been. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. He's on a different level than he's ever been. I've watched every game he's ever played in his career uh, and been there, you know, been there for every single one of them, called every single one of them. He, he's at a completely different level, uh, and it's because of the work. I mean, it's a great story. It's just un. You know, here's a guy who – it's a great story. I think it's one of the great stories in the NBA. He averaged 22 points, five rebounds, and four assists last year. Okay, that's pretty good, right? I don't, I don't think most people realize how good he was last year. 20 points, five rebounds, four assists. And you know what his answer was when he went in and met with the, the training staff? This is not good enough. We need to redo everything yeah. we're doing and restart because this is not good enough. That's That's kind of awesome. Yeah, and he's been his his ability to finish around the rim has improved so much since his uh, since his early years in the league. Like that's he was always a good shooter, but but his ability to get to the rim and then finish around there is is so much more impressive than it was with like second year Gordon Hayward or even when he was like a six man and in six man contention. It was really one of the best six men in the league and and should have been. That last year he was coming off the bench like really should have been in contention for six man of the year. I forget where he finished in the voting, but he was he was really really good. Shot over 40% from 3 that year and was really good, but like his his ability to create his own shot from anywhere on the floor now is is as good as pretty much any other wing in the league at this point. He's I I think he's been su- I think he was much better around the basket than people realized. I mean, I just think, um, but he's, and then he's, to your point exactly, he's now, he's now actually, like, if you go look at what guys shoot from, like, zero to three feet, I think he's crossed over 70%, and the guys who do that in this league are LeBron James and Kevin Durant. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, like, like prime Blake Griffin was over 70% with that stuff. Yeah, I mean, Tyson Um, Chandler, DeAndre Jordan, Rudy Gobert. Like dunk right, but that's like lower. A, that's lower usage. Yeah, that's lower usage. Of but, wing, but I'm of talking players yeah. driving to the basket, finishing around the rim. Uh, he's in a unique thing that I would say on him. The thing that's most different is his handle is better, and his strength is better. So he's able. He I I in my play by play call often call bumper cars. He's he can go play bumper cars with you, and still finish uh, on his way to the basket. And that's where I've noticed him being most different. Yeah, no, that that's a great point. Like his his ability to just kind of bounce and recover off contact is is really big. Last time, last time the Thunder played in Utah, also Rodney Hood wasn't there. 
I feel like I keep thinking that Rodney Hood is going to make, and he's definitely a good player. Don't get me wrong. He's a good player for certain. I, I keep thinking Rodney Hood is going to kind of make the leap though. And he hasn't, he hasn't quite made it. Do, do you think he's going to, do you think this is kind of what Rodney Hood is? He should be a little better than he's been this season. Um, he's off a little this year. So, um, so I would say I expect him to be a little bit better player than he's been this year. I am not particularly optimistic that he has the leap in him that ev- that everyone talks about. Um, be only because he doesn't go to the free throw line enough. It's a very hard way to live in this league being a wing player that never goes to the free throw line. Yeah, I mean Thunder fans are, should be fully aware of this because that's Victor Oladipo syndrome. Okay, and then and I would. I would guess that neither of them are particularly efficient. I mean, Victor Oladipo's I keep a stat pack, uh, which I don't know if you've used on Locked on Thunder, but it's and I was supposed to do something for you, never got to it. Um, but it, it's he's you know Oladipo used to be it's he's gotten better. Used to be one of the worst pack players in the league. Yeah, well, his his efficiency is so he's he's fifty four percent true shooting this year, which is which is basically league average. I forget exactly what league average is, but it's usually 53, 54%, somewhere in there. I forget what it is this year off the top of my head, but he's, he's 54%. And it's in part because he just like, he never gets to, he's averaging 2.3 free throw attempts a game. Like he, he really almost never gets to the free throw line and his free throw rate is down now uh, pretty comfortably, like very easily the worst free throw rate of his entire career. His free throw rate, which is just free throw attempts per field goal attempt, like it's a simple stat. His free throw rate is half of what it was his rookie year in Orlando. So he just, he's changed his style. He's changed, you know, his, you know, he, he doesn't put the ball on the ground as much. He's really a glorified spot-up shooter when he plays with the starting lineup because Russell Westbrook handles the ball the whole time. And they just kind of put him in the corner and that's about it. Uh, but he he does not get to the free throw line anymore. And, and the fact that that's diminishing I think is a little bit discouraging, to be honest. What does he do well? What does he do well? Like, like as as a plus? Yeah, he's a good on ball defender. I think he's a good on ball defender, and like he's, I think. Can I, I give you? Can I give you a bias on this? Can I give you a thought on this? I, I can I can I guess what you're going to say? Well, I have a theory in the NBA about players, and I, this is why I asked the question a little bit. I think Victor Oladipo might fall into it a little bit. Because um, statistically, I don't think there's any sign that he's a good defender, right? I don't think he's a good real plus-minus defender, or um, his defensive rating, I know, has never been good. Uh, but I sometimes think that if there's a wing player who can't shoot... Now, Oladipo, to his credit, has become an above, a pretty decent shooter. But who can't shoot... We just announced that they're good defensive players, because there must be a reason why they play. Now, Robertson actually is a good defensive player, but he would be a classic example of this. Where like you have a guy who's out there and he can't shoot, and we and he plays, and so you have to figure well he must be a good defensive player because we can't equate really what defensive is in any metric, so we just assume it. The other one I always think is that these top ten draft picks just get a pass forever, like oh well like you know they're good at something like well maybe maybe not right like I mean I I don't know I I mean I think Oladipo's I'm not I'm not trying to I'm. I'm being harsher on him more just systematically talking about how we evaluate players in the league um, more than I am talking about Victor Oladipo specifically. But, I I mean, the guy averages, what, a steal and a half, so he's probably got to be somewhat of a good defensive player. He's a pretty good athlete. But I just think it's an interesting – I don't know. I'd like to know what he – Yeah, he fights hard on the ball. He's really He's been really good at corner threes this year. 
Uh, he's been really, really good. I, I, I think, I mean, at least he's, he's been hurt the last couple of games uh, with back spasms and they haven't said what his status is for tomorrow, but as of a couple of days ago, he was still leading the NBA in, in percentage from the right corner. So he's, he's been really good. He's shooting like 43% overall on corner threes. And he's like 49% from the right corner or something like that. Something really, really high up. So he's been really good on corner threes this year. He's, he has not been good on, on, uh, above, above the break threes at all. Anything from the wings, he's been, he's been bad at. Well, the Jazz uh, allow the fewest corner threes of anyone in the league. By the way, so he uses possessions below league average. Oladipo? Yeah. Yeah, what's he at, like 19? Well, he uses about, I'm just pulled up my numbers. He uses 15 scoring opportunities in the league, and he scores .4 points less than the average offensive player in the league does in those possessions. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Because he doesn't get to the free throw line. Right, he goes to the free throw line, 6.2% of his possessions used. Would yeah. You, would you like to put that in? Pers- would we? Would you like me to put that in perspective for you for a second? I would love that. All right. Let's go small forward shooting guards, and let's do a little search here. Excuse me, people that are going to be um, bored while I. It's always good to do searches while live on the air. Free throw percentage, <laughs> smallest to largest. All right. Let's go to players that go to the free throw line at the same rate as Victor Oladipo. What did we say he was? Six point what? Six point two. Um, 6.2, uh, Kuzmiskus in New York. Yeah. Stanley Johnson, Mike Dunleavy, Jamal Murray, James Young. These all go more than he does. Alan Anderson, Evan Turner, Omri Caspi, who is the definition of a spot-up shooter. Here's a frightening one. Jared Dudley goes to the line on more possessions than Victor Oladipo. Justin Holiday, Doug McDermott's there also, by the way, at 6.8. Um... You know what? You know what? Pretty Deion much Waiters, all these people have in Deion common. Deion Waiters, six point nine. Kyle Singler, for reference points, six point nine. Yeah, these Tabo Cephalosa, who Oklahoma City fans know as a pure spot up shooter only, uses more possessions going to the free throw line than Victor Oladipo. Right. Well, this just further, but I, I think look, Oladipo's never been good at going to the line. But this is also a product. I mean, it's not. It's not just him. It's it's a product of the way they're using him too. Yeah, uh, I don't believe that. No, I mean the the how how extreme. I mean, look, the, what what do all of those people have have in common that you just said? They're all spot up shooters, right? Right, but Victor Oladipo should be, if he was athletic enough and good enough handle, he wouldn't have to be a spot up shooter. He could make plays out of it. By the way, just to let you know, Rodney Hood six point less I think, than Victor Oladipo. I think it's hard um, with the way that they use him for him to look. It, it's 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 both. I'm not arguing it's one or the other. Uh, it's just it's 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 this perfect storm of events that have put him in this situation to where he doesn't get to the free throw line. He's never been good. It's not like he was getting to the free throw line a ton in Orlando. He was just doing it more than he is now. But he was still going there at a a, a firmly below league average rate. Uh, like his his free throw rate was still like in the low twenties. Like it wasn't it wasn't anything great or anything like that when he came over from Orlando. But just the the role that they've put him in in this kind of, you know, stand in the corner and let Russell Westbrook operate, um, it puts him in a position to where this guy who, who already was not very good at getting to the free throw line is now all of a sudden in, you know, his, the, all of his possessions are, are just in, they're not optimizing his ability to get there at all. And so I think it's just kind of both of those two things meshing together and putting him in a position where he's never really getting there. 
All right, I've got to go in a minute here, but this is kind of just to bore everyone to death. Here are the players in the NBA who play over 20 minutes a night that shoot the fewest amount of use the fewest amount of possessions to go to the free throw line that are wing players. Okay, J.R. Smith, Danny is Green. This, is this a ratio or a total number? Percentage of uh, possessions they use going to the free throw line. So J.R. Smith uses two percentage of percent of his possessions to go to the free throw line this year. Hasn't played a lot. Danny Green, Buddy Heald. Welcome, Sacramento. <laughs> Kyle Korver, Wayne Ellington, Etwan Moore, Tony Snell, Josh Richardson, Terrence Ross, this is 20 minutes or more, Courtney Lee, Seth Curry, I'll get to our guys in a second, Joe Johnson of the Jazz, Lance Stevenson has hardly played, uh, Trevor Ariza, M- Mo Harkless, Joe Ingles, Luel Dang, C.J. Miles. Where's Ronnie Hood? Ben McLemore, Matt Barnes, Eric Gordon, Otto Porter, Rodney Hood, Clay Thompson, and Rodney Magruder, Nick Young, Victor Oladipo. There you go. It's all spot-up shooters. Yeah, but that's 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 a good way to put into but perspective, so, like but how that's much a, of a shot spot of shooter has become. This is what's really an interesting point on this: is Oladipo came in the league, people thought he could do everything. That's why I asked you what he's good at, because when he came in the league, the word on him was that he probably wasn't going to be a shooter. He's going to be a playmaking, driving, creating, defending, and now offensively, he's a spot up shooter. It's a great point on your part. His effective field goal percentage is a career high, so give him credit for that. Right. Right, but the but the true shooting, which is effective field goal, but but includes for free throws, is I guess it is a career high. Hey, just I was just trying shoots. to be positive because Thunder fans hate me so much. Yeah, <laughs> no, it is the the true shooting is a career high, but it's still like hovering around league average. Right, it's just it's it's interesting with the way they. I, I, it's also it's a chicken or egg type of thing too, right? Like if if they were giving him more, he would certainly get to the free throw line more, just because the role would be different. But how much better would it be? And are they using him? Is, is his free throw rate down because yes. of the role they're using him, or are they putting him in that role because it wouldn't be good no matter what? Right. Um, it's kind of a chicken or egg thing. I think both those points are uh, are defensible, and in reality it comes down to the answer that it usually is in these sorts of situations, that it's probably a little bit of both. Interesting. All right, Thunder uh, finish where in the West? Six. I think they're better than Memphis after the trade. Interesting. You don't think they so, get to five? Uh, no, because Chris Paul's back. So well, we, I think the Clippers are five. Gonna... Oh, you think Clippers, you get, think... Chris, Clippers get us because they got Chris Paul back. Yeah. That, I mean, I don't think, uh, I, I think Utah is better than the Thunder. What do you think? We'll find out. We'll find out. I mean, Utah's got to win this game. Like this is a game. If Utah wins this game, then there's no way the Jazz can fall to seven. Right. Like, I mean, not no way, but. The numbers, the numbers swing the Jazz favor. That was a great win by Oklahoma City and Utah. I think that's, you know. But I think if I've got it off the top of my head correctly, the Thunder are three back in the loss column to the Jazz, or are they two back in the loss column to the Jazz? They are 22 to 25. They're three, three. back. So if the three Jazz back. win and the Thunder go to six back in the loss column, hard to come back, or excuse me, four back in the loss column, hard to come back from that much in 22 games. Right. I just I just like Utah's defense too much. I mean Utah Utah is what third in offense or third in defense and twelfth in offense. The Thunder are 
eighth, eighth in defense and 20th in offense or something like that. They still have a negative net rating. And I think after the trade, they're a better than negative net rating team. But I just, I think those numbers tend to bear out over the larger sample size. And I, I, I don't necessarily see, I don't see the Thunder catching Utah, but I, I do see them catching Memphis. I, I think they're going to, I think they're a better team than Memphis is right now. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Though, you know what? On Memphis, Conley, Randolph, and Gasol play like 900 games together in their life or something absurd. And you just can't underplay that. Like last night, did you see Yeah, that? I think that's a great point. Like last, they did this to us too. They just get it. Like last night, they just got it. They just knew, you know, we can't really go lose to Denver. And if you look last night, Conley had 31, Gasol had like 26, Randolph had 20, and not another guy on their team like did anything. But their guys got it. Like they just... They don't lose these games that they're supposed to win because they've just been together long enough. They did the same thing to us. They they had lost to, on a bad loss to Portland against us, uh, and then they came into our building in a match, and they the three of them just kicked our ass. And it was like, oh, they just get it. They just they just and I, if I don't remember correctly who it was, but they had like two tough games on the backside, and it was as though those guys just looked at the schedule and said, oh well, if we lose tonight, we're going to end up losing four in a row. And so they didn't, and and they still have that. Um, you know, the Jazz and Oklahoma City have the same problem, which is they've never won a game they've had to win as this roster. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like that's a big one. Yeah, so Oklahoma, Memphis had lost, when they saw us, they'd lost four of six and were had us, and then they had back-to-back, or they had two more road games on a trip, and, you know, they just weren't going to lose their five out of seven games. And last night they went into Denver, they'd lost... They'd lost their opener in Indiana after the All-Star break. They'd suddenly lost three of four. They just weren't going to lose last night. I mean, they just weren't. Like, they're just – they're too damn good, those three guys. Yeah. No, they uh, – That I think that's a really good point. I mean, the the having the type of guys like that for a playoff race, it, it always helps to have old guys who can still play. Yeah, to your point, they're 11 and 11, I think, in their last – or 11, 11 and 9 in their last 20. So, they're you know, they're not rolling. No, and, and I don't think they will be. Like I think, I think they're probably the team they are at this point. They're probably the record they are. And if the Thunder plays six hundred ball the rest of the way, and Memphis plays five eighty, the Thunder can take it. And I think, but but Memphis is good. It would absolutely wouldn't shock me if the Thunder ended up at at uh, at seven. They're they're a half a game back in Memphis right now, but they're tied in the loss column. So it's really anybody's at this point. Right. Very true. All right. You got anything else? Uh, no, I like the trade you guys made, so I agree with you on that. I think it'll be interesting to see if the Jazz defend Russell a little differently tonight. And, uh, uh, Hayward's, I think, below 50% shooting against Robertson this year, so it'll be interesting to see if the Jazz can free him a little bit. Um, it's a good matchup. Yeah, I love, I love watching Robertson guard the best wing, wing scorers in the league. That's always, like, I love watching great one-on-one defense. I mean, Team defense is fun, but I, I love watching just like a great one-on-one defender go up against a great one-on-one offensive player. So Robertson versus Harden, or Robertson versus Mello, or Robertson versus you know Hayward in this case. Like that's those matchups are always super fun for me. Well, I'll see you at the ball game. Look forward to it. See you there. Is that the new iPhone? Yeah, got it on T-Mobile. Fastest iPhone deserves America's fastest LTE network. Introducing the amazing iPhone 8. It's the best iPhone yet, now on America's best unlimited network. For a limited time, save up to $300 on the amazing iPhone 8 after 24 monthly bill credits. And now join T-Mobile's iPhone upgrade program for free. 
Eligible trade-in and finance agreement required. If you cancel service, you may lose promo credits. Contact us for details. Video at 480p. Small fraction of users over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speed. See store for details.